I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, the host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I'm here. Well, actually, last week, I was very lonely. I was all by myself. You were solo. Solo, but uh, as you can hear in the voice, uh, we have none other than Sean Latimer back here to discuss Thoughts on Money today. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good morning. Happy to be back. Good morning to me, but somebody listening, this might be in the evening. That's true, and this is on the weekend, so yeah, good point. Risky. Um, So what I talked about in this article is one of my favorite sections of DC Today, the commentary that David Bonson writes, is the section titled Ask David. Um, In the past here at the Bonson Group, we have had uh, debriefs of different client events and things that we've done. And I am a broken record to David, and I say, hey, your content for the future should be all Q&A. Um, I think that part of any event is just so enjoyable uh, for the audience to be able to ask whatever question they have on their mind and for uh, in that free form setting for David to kind of just answer and have uh, a dialogue going two ways with him and the audience. Yeah, I thought your example, too, of the story you told of having that professor who said, you know, please ask questions. I, it reminded me of a lot of classroom settings where I would get the most out of those classes where people including myself for asking questions and kind of challenging theories because I'm a much better studier uh, verbally. Like I enjoy hearing it and then I'll remember it, especially if it's tied to a story or if I remember that Chris in the third row asked this question, I'm going to remember that a lot more clear than reviewing notes or chapters or or whatever it might be. So I, I think that's helpful that you're right. There's probably a lot of questions that are similar from other clients that uh, they're getting answered by doing this. Yeah, I think I'm wired the same way as you. It's like if somebody gave me a 50-page white paper, I'd be like, oh, is there any way I could just talk to the author? Like I'd much rather have a dialogue and to be able to understand it, uh, which is interesting, right? Like historically, uh, that is how humans operated, right? Most things were passed down from verbal more than written. But um, yeah, we digress a little bit. Nonetheless, Sean alluded to this idea that I wrote about this course I had in college and like you said, Sean, uh, I remember vividly, like every day in this classroom, uh, I believe it was a history class, uh, the teacher would grab his stool um, and he would set it at the front of the class and he'd kind of hop on it and he'd say, okay, what questions do you have? And his threat was, if you guys don't ask questions right now, I'm going to tee off on a really boring lecture. So what he did was he had assigned reading every night. Um, and then people were required every class to write a one page paper. He said, no spaces, minimal font, get rid of all the margins. I want you to fill up the whole paper. So he was really driving this idea as he wanted people doing the reading every night. Um, and then when you showed up, a big part of your grade was on participation and participation was just asking questions. And the, the great thing about it is he would take these questions and he would launch them into the lecture he's going to give anyway. Right. Yeah. But he drove this level of engagement. And one of the things I wrote is that um, like questions are the soul of our curiosity, right? Most of us um, are very, very curious, but sometimes we don't have the courage to ask the question. And what he was saying is when you ask a question, there's three or four other students in the classroom that have that same exact question. Yeah, it's funny. This is uh, kind of off topic, but I, I was just thinking, yeah, 
questions are good as long as they're relevant. And you kind of mentioned he used those questions to kind of tie into what the lecture is going to be about. And I'm just thinking of examples where people, if you're in like a work meeting and people ask questions that are totally not relevant, kind of slow down the meeting. And uh, this is different. The, these are questions that, uh, you know, that you think that Trevor is actually going to be able to answer, not, uh, you know. A non What do your kids like to eat for breakfast? And you're like, what? No, we're talking about interest rates, or that it doesn't really tie together. So, yeah, which is a good segue. Like you mentioned, interest rates. I got a question this week, and and I was kind of inspired. Like, hey, this Ask David section. Like, let's do a thoughts on money where it's Ask Trevor. And the question was, where will short term interest rates be two years from now? Simple question, good question. And I think the initial reaction of a lot of our listeners would be, I know what Trevor's going to say. He's going to say he can't answer that question because it's predicting the future. Uh, joke's on you. We have a crystal ball. Just, yes. just tell him, Trevor. Just tell him the, the exact amount. <laughs> no. That's it. So what I, what I did, which is unfair sometimes, is I wanted to return the question with a few other questions. Um, and what I wanted to provide the framing for is that I do think you can answer this question. What I don't think is that you can't answer it with an exactness. Right. If somebody says, where will short term interest rates be two years from now? And your answer is two point two five percent. Well, you're lying. Right. You you can't do it with that sort of exactness. But what I wanted to say in the article was, hey, let's let's tackle these three questions specifically about interest rates. How did we get here? Where are we going? And when will we be there? Yeah, I think uh, if someone were to ask me that question, I, I would start a 30,000 foot view. Like, do I think uh, higher, lower or the same? And I, I think just based off what we've seen over the past two years and comparing it to the long term, I would probably hope or guess that it's going to be lower. But like you said, giving a specific percentage is, is lying because no, no one knows. Yeah, and that's how finance works is that then, like you just articulated, um, you gave three options, right? Higher, lower, or the same. You chose lower, and now you can articulate reasoning for that. Now, you will hold that conclusion loosely because you're not going to gamble your family's net worth on that being right. But you can say, here is how I came to that conclusion. And that's where I started and said, hey, how did we get to this point where interest rates are today? I'm going to encourage you to read the article because there's a lot to unpack there, and I don't think I'll jump into it right now, but just a very cursory overview. David recently provided a chart that showed the last 50 years of the interest rate on the 10-year treasury. And in that chart, he drew two boxes, and he was basically delineating between before 2008 and after 2008. One of the things I mentioned in the article is that In the same way we use B.C. and A.D. to identify the most crucial moment in history, the birth of Jesus Christ, in finance, we can use that same delineation around the financial crisis. And and what David was highlighting was pre-financial crisis, the 10-year treasury interest rate was always above 4%. Post-financial crisis, you know, approximately, it's lived below 4%. So the question is why? Financial crisis happens. The Federal Reserve is intending to be accommodative. So they are using whatever tools they have at their disposal. One of those is interest rates. So for a long time, we sat with interest rates close to zero. We became very familiar with it. We took out mortgages at 2.75%. We never asked our bank to give us any interest on our savings account because uh, that was abnormal in that era that we were living. 
Then what was the next notch on the timeline? COVID. March of 2020, after a whole lot of accommodation, there was even more accommodation. So then we asked the question, okay, if the financial crisis was the greatest financial experiment of all time, COVID was absolutely the greatest social experiment of all time. You asked everyone to stay at home. You told every business to basically put their business on pause. And then the government provided a whole lot of money that didn't exist before. When you run that equation of people wanting to spend money but not being able to yet, businesses trying to survive and trying to figure out inventory supply chains, and then the consumer having a little bit more money than they're familiar with because of Stimulus and less spending. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, less spending and stimulus. So then what would be the conclusion? In hindsight, it's easy to say, but you're you're probably going to get inflation, right? right? Because you're going to have a bunch of people want to spend money, and you're not going to have the goods to support that. So sure enough, we got inflation. What does the Federal Reserve do when there's inflation? They respond by tightening the belt, Mm -hmm. right? So then inflation, we can conclude, is almost like a leading indicator to rising interest rates. So the right question to ask from there said, hey, we know we we got here because inflation went up, the Federal Reserve drove interest rates, the bond market responded with higher interest rates. Okay, cool. We know how we got to this point. The next question that we don't feel like we can often answer is, where do we go from here? Why? Because it feels like a predictive question. Yeah, and the interesting thing too is, so uh, the Fed has a dual mandate. So they're also responsible for uh, unemployment. And so it'd be interesting when strong jobs reports would come out during this time. And normally that's good for markets, but it would actually be a bad market day. And it's because, oh, that means that they're not going to be forced to bring rates down anytime. And they're going to keep increasing rates to fight inflation. And I just thought it was so interesting because it's almost like playing chess. It's like there's like three steps ahead. And, and that's what the market does. It's very efficient. So it prices those things in right away. I won't go off on a tangent, but if you want to go read John Maynard Keynes' Beauty Contest article, it gets into this whole idea of first-level thinking, second-level thinking, and you're exactly right. You're talking about when good news becomes bad news because people are thinking the next order is how do people respond to that news. Right, and then you start having conversations where you you hear people say, yeah, I hope unemployment goes up so that way the the Fed has to slow down. And it's like, wow, that's so counterintuitive. So like, we want bad things to happen just to slow things down, but – uh. I I think to your point, all that to be said has brought us to this, you know, this, I don't want to say peak, but this moment. And now everyone's saying, well, you know, in two years, we might look back and say, oh, it was obvious that rates were going to come down. But is it? (laughs) Exactly. And that's kind of where this question comes from, because people are starting to revamp their financial plan and their portfolios to say, I never have to take risk. I'll just lock in these free interest rates uh, in perpetuity. And that's where that question of where we are going, we're going to answer right now. And what we're basically saying is that if we can agree that how we got here, there was a relationship between inflation and interest rates. We're saying inflation went up, therefore interest rates went up. So can we know the future of inflation? And if inflation goes down, do interest rates go down? And I believe the answer is yes. So I provided two examples in the articles to basically say, one, you could take all the inflation data over the last 12 months, and you can chart it out, and you're seeing a softening of inflation. The other place you could go is treasury inflation protected securities, what we often call TIPS. 
you can look at the implied future expectation of inflation. Right now, over the next two years, that implication is hovering around 2%. So what we can see is that the data is showing a softening in inflation, and the implied expectation of the future is a softening inflation. So it would be hard to make a counter-argument, which what you posed earlier is same, lower, higher. Intellectually, I think you have to choose lower. Yeah, and I understand why the questions are coming up because there's still things happening. People are still buying homes and they're looking at mortgage rates and they're saying, do I fix in this rate? Do I do interest only? And and if the expectation is that rates will be lower in the short-term future, then that that's the idea is that you'll get an opportunity to refinance. Um, I had a similar question come up where they have a, a the client has a margin loan, like a line of credit from a home improvement project, and the, the current rate is at just above 6%. And their thought is, wow, I didn't want to take this money out of my portfolio because it's generating about 5% dividends and interest, but I feel like I'm spending more on the debt now than I'm receiving. Should we you know, change the plan and pay that off? And, and the real question was, you know, what is the effective rate going to be over time? And uh, that, that's where you kind of get in that second level thinking where, well, you're right. If we're just looking at six months starting today, it may not be best. But if we're looking at six years, we don't know what rates are going to be, and we have to look at what that effective rate is. So it, it does. It's a good question because there are decisions being made every day by people, and interest rates impact it. Yeah, and that's why it's on the heart of the person that asked. Um, and people, as always, are looking for clarity. So we've concluded: How did we get here? Uh, inflation rose. Federal Reserve responded. Bond market responded. Higher interest rates. Where are we going? Softening inflation would conclude that interest rates are going lower. Okay, cool. We've, we've gotten a lot, a lot further than we do on some of these questions that feel speculative or, or predictive. Here's the key. Uh, when will we be there? This is the answer you're waiting for. We don't know. Um, if market's intent is to make the fool of the most people and surprise you and frustrate you, then you know you're not going to know the perfect timing of when rates go from X to Y. I think all these questions are pretty frustrating at times for people because uh, David will often write about uh, you know politics, he'll write about you know macroeconomics, he'll write about things like this, and and uh, he'll have an opinion, right? Like I think it may go this way, I think it may go that way. This is my prediction, and uh, I'll have clients say, okay, well that yeah, that makes sense. I, I either agree or I disagree. So what are you guys going to do? if that happens, or how are you going to hedge that or position? And I think that can almost be frustrating with people when the answer is we, we aren't, because we're not going to guess and, and guess wrong, and then put ourselves at risk. Um, ultimately, you build the allocation, build the financial plan, and then you kind of keep an eye on these things, which will make maybe high level decisions different. But on the short term, we're, we're not bobbing and weaving trying to change things. Yeah, I think you highlight something there that's very key. Uh, like you mentioned earlier about the margin loan having an effective rate. So you have that opinion because you're making an informed decision about the direction of where interest rates are going. What you're not doing is you're not out buying future contracts, believing that the market's expectation of changes in rates tomorrow are different than um, what your expectations are. You're not placing a timestamp to say this change will happen here. And the reason I think that's so important, and again, I'm sharing my own framing, I've 
always saw markets as this idea of two steps forward, one step backwards. So what I mean by that is that markets don't work in a linear fashion, right? It's not like, oh, okay, interest rates today are 4%, and two years from now they're going to be 2%, therefore we can just divide by 24 months and incrementally go down in basis points. No, sometimes the route from 4 to 2 is via 4.5. Sometimes it could be the opposite, via 1.5 back to 2. And that idea that markets don't move in a linear fashion or once you get to a thesis, they don't react right away, that can be one of the most frustrating parts for people. Yeah, I I, I find myself on most questions I get where I even tell them, you're not going to like this answer because it's going to start with, it depends. But I'll at least talk to you uh, about both scenarios and, and why. And uh, I think if people understand, kind of like you did in this article, like how did we get here, now where do we go, and then what's that time frame look like, they have a much better understanding and they're more comfortable going forward. Yeah, for me, where it becomes like really informed on the planning side, let's just use the scenario where somebody was going to be buying a new house right now. I think that there's some people, without putting a lot of thought into it, right, would argue, and I'll just use you as an example, Sean, hypothetical Sean, don't buy a house right now. And you're like, why? And they're like, well, interest rates are at 7%. It's like, do you want to pay 7% over the next 30 years? And you're like, no. And then you start making decisions that could impact your family, right? That maybe you wanted to be in a certain school district or it was a good time for you guys to buy. And and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to hit the pause button because Johnny down the street said, I don't want to have 7% for 30 years. Now, let's take that same scenario and overlay it with the belief that we drew out today. We're not concluding that you're going to have 7% for 30 years. We're concluding that that exists today. But the direction of interest rates are most likely to the more modest and natural levels. So you get to conclusions of like, yeah, you might pay seven today, but what I believe, uh, and again, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I would assume what you believe is that 7% mortgage today will probably be refinanced four or five times as we take the journey back to, and again, I'm not going to say a number, but what would be the more natural rate? And the reason I'm using the term natural rate is because it's very unnatural environment right now, right? Nobody that I've talked to was around during the Spanish flu. So nobody has a relevance of of something that's quote unquote like COVID. So since we're still in the, you know, aftermath of the COVID experiment, therefore you can't make conclusions that what we're seeing today will be the exact same in perpetuity. And the last thing I'll say is that I think that hurts two different type of people. I think that hurts the people that are um, uh, paralyzed from borrowing that might be important to their financial plan. And I think it also paralyzes the other side that is banking on this belief that they can have all their money in money market in perpetuity. Yeah, that that's probably been the biggest shift is with higher interest rates is seeing how comfortable people are with cash and money market funds, which I kind of understand. But I I think that when they start projecting out numbers or thinking long-term, that's where they're mistaken because for as fast as the money market or interest rates rose and money markets start paying more, it can go the other direction just as fast. And the funny thing is, it's just not how our brains work. Like we work and operate with heuristics, right? Little shortcuts. We always think in nominal terms, we never think in real ret- uh, terms. 
all, all I mean by that is that our brains want to do one computation. What is the interest rate? And then let me compare it to what I'm historically familiar with. There's actually another step you should take. What is the interest rate? And what is the inflation rate? Mm-hmm. Because if you believe inflation is, uh, again, I'm not, this is not about believing or not believing, but let's just say if inflation is 5% and your money market is earning 4%, you just signed up for negative 1%, right? Right. So is that so much different from when your interest rate on your money market account was a half a percent and inflation was 2%? Right. No, it's the exact same. But for some reason, the way we work, get married in absolute terms, we're just like, I've never seen a five before on a money market. Like, I'm just salivating. Yeah, exactly. The, the real return is really important to look at. And uh, yeah, like you said, I think people... They think of the short term. I'm guilty of it too. I'll, I'll see the interest hit my account and I multiply it by 12 automatically, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get that for the next 12 months. Yeah. And the importance of, of looking in real returns, uh, real terms, uh, is this idea of understanding what an enemy inflation is, right? Warren Buffett of, often talks about like it's the, um, the enemy hiding at the door that you never hear about or think about. Like it's slowly deteriorating the buying power of your money. And people think it's kind of funny when I say this, but like if you're working under uh, a situation where you're yielding a negative real return, I have really good advice for you. You should spend that money now. Right. Because um, if there's something that you want to buy and you can prepay for it, you're, you're better off spending it now because the goods and services that you want to get in the future, you're going to get less of because of the, the shelf life of the money based on inflation. That's a really good point. You have anything to add? I do not. <laughs> yeah. I, I closed out with some final thoughts. All I was saying is like, hey, investing is difficult. We've concluded that we understand where we came from. We get a general idea of direction where we're going, Right. I think with reason and uh, history, understanding the economic environment, you can get a semblance of direction. What I'm also saying, you will get no semblance of timing. So there is some humility that needs to be had there to say I can have some level of confidence of where I think the current is, where it's flowing. Um, But I, I really don't know the timing of it all. And I think it's wise to have convictions because they help you stay the course um, when things want to sway you one way or the other. But it's also important to hold some of your conclusions loosely because it's very often that we can mistake uh, stubbornness for convictions. Um, And that's where we see a a lot of harm dealt out from a financial perspective. Yeah, one last thing to add, but it just reminded me when you're talking about kind of betting on that opinion. I, I, we saw this recently with the, the banking sector and some of the banks that were failing. I remember uh, just hearing a mutual friend in our industry talk about, you know, how buying some of these options on uh, one of those banks that is actually no doesn't exist anymore and how he, he kept saying, no brainer, we all know where it's going. And, and I was just hearing him say these things like, oh man, it just makes me uncomfortable. And so it, it reminds me of the same thing. If you're that convicted that interest rates are going to go one way or the other, please don't bet too big. <laughs> yeah. And you and I do it a lot, like just for fun. And we, we bring this up a lot, but in sports, we'll just throw out these like crazy ideas. You know what I mean? Like I've been joking around lately. I'm like, oh man, I wonder, you know, the thunder for NBA basketball, have a young team, you know, Chet Holmgren's coming back. So I'm like, oh, like they can make the Western Conference Finals. So like 
I'm going to say that, but there, I have nothing on the line. Yeah, we look up the odds, and it's like 10 or 20 to 1, and then and then we kind of laugh and go, oh, maybe it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but then if it happens, I feel like that'll be my golf shot. I'll put it in my back pocket and yep. be like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. But uh, how many of those items do we uh, invest a lot of confidence? I so. feel bad for Trevor because he'll, he'll get some of these right, but he throws out so many of them that I'm like, no, you didn't say that. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'll have to keep a journal. Um, with that said, we uh, really appreciate you listening to this podcast. Um, really appreciate your readership. Um, if you have any comments or questions, an easy way to get a hold of us is Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Trevor or Sean. You can send a question and we will do another Ask Trevor as well if you'd like. Um, So again, thank you for listening and we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.